This is a Curious Line podcast brought to you by ING. Hello and welcome to the ING podcast here at GoTech World. I am with Justin Hendricks from NYC Media Labs. Nice to meet you, Justin. So let us introduce the people know me, but who is Justin Hendricks and what does NYC Media Labs do? So uh, I'm the executive director of this uh, thing, New York City Media Lab, which is itself a consortium of universities and media communications technology companies in New York. And we look at emerging media technology and innovation. So we do a lot of different work with large media companies uh, on prototyping and exploring new technologies. We also help to start, start new companies. So we run an accelerator program uh, that spins out startups, especially from New York City's universities. So I know that that the New York City Media Labs is a public partnership, public-private partnership. How? What? What's the origin of it and the purpose? About a, about a decade ago, New York City looked around and said, "It really looks like technology is changing a lot of industries, and in particular, it's changing the media industry." So that is an important industry in New York, like it is here in uh, in Bucharest. Um, and in New York, it employs nearly half a million people. Um, so the thought very much at the time was, how do we advance the industry with new technology? How do we think about how to continue to create value? Um, so that's what we've done, is tried to create a community that explores emerging media technology and helps the sector to grow in New York City. What kind of projects have you implemented over the years? So lately, our projects fall into what I call two general categories. Uh, one is in the area of uh, AI, machine learning, uh, and kind of related data sciences. Uh, then the other is in future interfaces. So a lot around virtual and augmented reality, uh, spatial computing, voice interfaces, and the like. Uh, so some of the projects in the data sciences uh, look at different things, whether it's automation of certain aspects of the media or uh, the use of you know, things like natural language processing to generate content, uh, really just, you know, all manner of applications of, of data in media. Uh, and then around future interfaces, a lot of time it's prototyping new experiences, whether it's creating virtual reality experiences or augmented reality experiences, uh, or thinking about how those technologies can combine with things like voice. So it's, it's a cliche, but every six months, there is an article saying that the journalists will be replaced by robots, that journalism is at risk because we have AI, software robots, and so on and so forth. So what's your, what's your stand on, on, on this thing? Where can AI be implemented nowadays in media? So uh, journalism has a lot of challenges, and I don't think that uh, AI is the top one. Um, the biggest challenge for journalism is really um, capitalizing journalism, capitalizing the search for facts. How do we create business models that you know make sense? Um, but uh, so far, what we've seen artificial intelligence do is really to be uh, in service to journalists. Um, you know, there are a lot of mechanisms and and uh, technologies that journalists are taking advantage of to speed up their reporting, uh, to alert them to information, to help them sift through large amounts of content or data, uh, things like document um, you know, retrieval. Uh, so there's a lot of tools that make it easier for journalism, journalists to do their jobs. 
Um, and then there is the automation of certain types of reporting that simply don't you know, require a lot of human intervention. So things like reporting on financial returns or the weather or sports even. Uh, so those types of things are being automated. Um, but so far, I'm not sure we can say that very many jobs have been lost in journalism because of AI. I don't think that's the case yet. Uh, I think the job losses in journalism really come down to business model. You mentioned about virtue and augmented reality, and I know it's a focus. And on stage here at GoTech World, you talked about something called synthetic media. So I'm just going to ask you to explain this, this term for, for our audience. What's synthetic media? So when we talk about synthetic media, we're talking about a range of technologies that have come together uh, to make it possible to computationally generate media and content. Uh, so this is a range of stuff, uh, computer graphics and computer vision, natural language processing, machine learning, artificial intelligence, uh, something called uh, deep learning, as particularly generative adversarial neural networks or GANs. These technologies have made it possible to uh, synthesize images, audio, video, really the full gamut of media, and to, to do some things we haven't been able to do before. Where do you see the best cases, the best use cases for this type of synthetic media? So uh, unfortunately, the, the use case that the public is probably most familiar with at the moment is something called deep fakes, uh, which have been popularized as an idea over the last few months. Um, and this is the use of um, GANs to automatically generate video content, often puppeting uh, an actor or a, or a politician. Um, maybe replacing one person's uh, face with another person's face uh, or putting, you know, uh, an actor into a situation that they were never really in. So creating these kind of artificial and yet photoreal uh, scenarios. Uh, so that's one example. Um, but, you know, I think that that's only a kind of negative example or uh, an example that has negative connotations. There are also a lot of positive uses of these technologies to generate creative content. Just tell us some of these examples. So there are uh, folks who are using uh, the kind of novel combinations of images to create wholly new concepts. I have a colleague at Columbia University called Lydia Chilton who's doing this. She's creating novel images by combining different, uh, often very different images, uh, you know, in a system that uh, creates, you know, kind of novel aesthetics. Um, there are... Uh, all manner of kind of uh, synthetic personalities, uh, the ability to use these technologies to generate, um, you know, worlds that have never existed before or uh, even 3D models that, uh, you know, you can, can incorporate into game environments, that kind of thing. Uh, there are just lots of applications and every creative gesture you can imagine. So you mentioned about the deepfakes and how the public knows this technology. Can it be implemented also not only in the creative industries, in gaming or art, or as a form of art, of new aesthetics, can be implemented in the world of facts and in the world of media, which works with facts. Absolutely. I mean, I think one of the things that we're seeing uh, right now is uh, people thinking about the efficacy of certain media, how much people learn uh, from certain media. You know, I, I was at a computer graphics conference earlier this year called SIGGRAPH, and they had a paper there about the automatic um, generation of 
uh, animated avatars uh, to replace lecturers or professors in online education. Um, and the idea there was that these avatars um, are more engaging and people learn more from them. So, you know, you can imagine your old professor uh, in college who may not have been uh, the most interesting to, to look at or the most visually compelling creature. Um, you know, this, this example of the, in this paper that I was seeing at SIGGRAPH uh, was replacing that, that person with a, an anime character that students found very engaging. So in, in the end, it's, it's basically now thinking of, of not replacing human interaction, but putting a, a digital human interaction where there was no interaction before. So in some cases, we're augmenting the interaction. In some cases, we may be introducing an entirely new character that's completely synthetic. The talk just after mine from Andy Lark, which is on Soul Machines. Uh, I don't know if you'll be talking with him, but um, he was talking specifically about um, you know, digital characters that are, uh, you know, synthetic in appearance and also, uh, you know, have some responsiveness, you know, are endowed with certain characteristics that allow them to understand context, uh, understand inputs from a, a human interlocutor um, and really create synthetic conversation. So when we talk about synthetic media, synthetic conversation, and the response of the public to that. What's the ethics approach to this? Just to make sure that we don't, do we need to make sure that we don't confuse real with synthetic media, real as in natural born media? So to answer this question, since we've got a few minutes, I, I, I just wanna back up for a second and, and talk about you know, media more generally. Um, which, you know, for the whole of recorded history, we know that humans have had a need, a predilection for creating alternative realities, imagery, content, back to the cave paintings and, you know, the arts of the ancient world. We've always tried to augment our reality. We've always tried to pass information along. We've always tried to tell stories. Um, and at every, you know, juncture when there's been a new media technology introduced, we've worried about what it meant to the real world and to fact. You know, so whether it was the printing press um, and, you know, even along the way, fears over what novels were going to do to pollute people's mind with fiction. Um, you know, whether it was the advent of radio and the, you know, fear of what it would be to hear these disembodied voices coming out of the ether. Uh, or on to film, you know, when people were very concerned about um, whether, you know, collecting people's images on to, to, to film was, was somehow robbing them of their humanity. Um, so we've had these concerns about every juncture in media. I don't think this one's any, any different in some ways. The, the main difference is the, the speed um, and the, the photorealism, the ability to create these artificial characters that seem so close to the real thing and yet aren't. Um, so I don't know if that quite answers your question, um, but I guess what I'm trying to get at is that the ethics question has always been there. It's always fundamentally been um, at that intersection of new media technology, even going back to when new media technology meant the printing press. 
Yeah, I actually remember there's a story in, in Romania talking about photographs. Um, a, soci a sociologist, the first one who had a photo camera and in Romania went to the villages and the villagers were very scared of the, the photo camera because they thought he will steal their soul. So it's, I, I think it's a, it's a legend that it's not specific to, to, to Romania or to those people, but to everyone who was exposed at first to some new technology. Well, you know, and in some ways, you know, the imagine now going back 100 years, 120 years, imagine seeing camera technology for the first time or seeing uh, a recorded um, uh, image, you know, or film, these things would have been absolutely mind-blowing. Um, you know, some of the first films, people were terrified if they saw a train or a gun, things that, that might represent danger. Um, to some extent, you know, we're less impressed today when we see new media um, because we know that it's possible to manipulate information um, with computational methods. Um, you know, to some extent, perhaps the effect is somewhat dulled, um, but we're still very worried about the implications, and rightly so, I think. We're seeing right now, you know, what social media has done to our discourse, and uh, that's, of course, not all positive. Talking about this and, and how the, the media is influenced, and how can it debunk basically how can it um, navigate to fake information Twitter storms every kind of information that basically hits us every single day every single hour um, how can media prepare itself as an industry to virtual reality augmented reality synthetic media just to recognize and point the facts so I think the question um, that you're raising is, is a very important one. And I, I want to think about this a couple of ways, but one, one way I like to think about it is if you were to go up on the moon and let's say you did have a pair of augmented reality glasses and you could put those glasses on and look down at the earth and those glasses gave you the ability to see all of the digital information that the earth was producing somehow you were able to visualize that if you were looking at the planet from the that vantage i suspect most of the information you'd see would not be facts or journalism or you know the production of factual content most of it would be something very different it would be um chatter you know um discussion amongst people the sharing of information, the sharing of images, um, the sharing of media at this point, a lot of it would be entertainment, um, sports, it would be other forms of information that don't necessarily relate to journalism or education. So, you know, if you were looking down, I, I suspect you'd probably see that, that factual content is a very small part of the human signal. But... I think it's going to get even harder to discern. And that's one of the big scary challenges in the next few years. This information overload does seem to be taking its toll. It seems to be having an effect. Um, and, you know, some of the systems and the institutions we've come to rely on have got a bit gummed up by this information overload. 
especially democracies. And so we're going to have to think about what that means. What does it mean? I think we're going to have to um, look at smart regulation, have to think about where it makes sense to try to protect uh, citizens, um, protect especially the apparatus we use to make decisions in the form of elections or, or legislation. Um, you know, how do we protect our democratic processes? You know, in America, uh, we have a decennial census. Uh, every 10 years, we count the people. We do this in most democracies to know how to um, apportion representation. And for the first time next year, we're about to do uh, a digital census. And there's a lot of concern about disinformation, about cybersecurity, about all manner of, of questions. And so, you know, a big question is, are we going to be able to protect this fundamental part of our democracy? Not to mention the elections and all the disinformation that's being thrown at the American public from uh, both domestic and foreign sources. So we saw that in in regards to to how media evolved in the in the last few years, companies like Facebook, Twitter, other tech startups have taken a big chunk of the market of of the place where people go to take their information in a almost non-regulated way but um, uh, given by algorithms so do you think that that in the future we're gonna see new and new tech startups going on to this synthetic media and this new landscape, uh, landscape of how to do basically how to treat information absolutely and, and you know we're already seeing that we we've, we've helped to um, usher in some startup companies that are working in this space or that I would broadly say fit in this category um, but there are lots of them I discussed some of them in my my talk today uh, companies that are doing you know automated uh, production of video uh, of music of text of images uh, of voice skins and clones um, and you know ultimately of Uh, digital characters um, so I think I think all that area is ripe for startups um, and we're seeing you know a, a, a thriving scene emerge um, the other areas that I'd say too are in new forms of content generation and capture uh, so you know photogrammetry volumetric capture motion capture um, these other technologies that make it possible for us to create you know versatile 3d models point clouds of objects characters and environments all of that can be then computationally uh, manipulated in in software like game engines i think all of that creates lots of opportunity as well so someone just dropped a glass over here uh but yeah, it's important for your listener to point out that we're right next to the bar yeah and we're not having a drink no we're is, not which is very cruel <laughs> for for us um from when we started i think there were 20 or 30 drinks being made we are talking today we are using this term of and i asked you to explain the synthetic media but we are still using the term digital and we made this separation between offline and digital everything do you think in the future We're going to get rid of digital and just be part of our life as it is. 
So I don't think so. I guess the distinction I'd make is that, um, at least to me, and, th- and by the way, these lines are very blurry and they're not always distinct. But the difference between digital media and synthetic media would be that digital media still, to some extent, requires us to collect assets in the real world. You know, right now you're recording the sound of my voice. You're, you know, you're getting the uh, the audio waves out of my um, lungs and vocal cord. Uh, or you know, later today, if you film something with your phone, you're collecting photons uh, on a camera sensor. When we talk about synthetic media, we're talking about a step removed from all of that. We're talking about being able to you know, digitally generate and manipulate information that may not have ever come from the real world at all, but they may look or sound photo real um, or sound real. Um, so I think that's the distinction. And I do think the proportion of media that we'll regard as uh, synthetic in origin will grow over the next several years. Does that mean that digital or even you know traditional media will go away? No, it doesn't. I don't think that's the case at all. Um, but it does mean that things will blend together and that we'll see a lot more synthetic content. I want to go a bit in the, I don't know if the near future, but in the um, next few years, have just 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 to think about about one thing came to my mind um we're gonna have artificial intelligence and deep learning can we see in your opinion in the future us having basically a synthetic twin i don't want to go to for example you don't want to go to this event this morning the traffic was awful you wanted to have a drink in, in the hotel. So you s- send your synthetic twin. Can we see this in the, in the, in the future? I don't know when in the future, but uh, at some point I could imagine it. Um, I could imagine us cloning ourselves in a variety of ways, modeling ourselves for different purposes. Um, I may wish to, you know, um, deploy multiple versions of myself in my, in my work context. Uh, to allow me to, you know, manage multiple situations simultaneously, the ultimate multitasking. Um, I may want to, uh, you know, be present in two places at once, for instance. Uh, there are many different reasons we might do that. And I do suspect at some point the um, combination of ability to understand my cognitive state, um, map onto my past behavior, you know, kind of generally create a reasonably you know high fidelity model of myself um, could make that possible I don't know when that is though it still seems a ways off to me um, a good ways off do you think that until then we have to build the trust of the public in general just to see this this kind of media of new media as a normal state of things Trust is such an interesting question. You know, uh, a lot of people raise the question of trust in the context of media. We worry about trust in news, trust in journalism, uh, trust in the veracity of, you know, reality. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I keep wondering if the trust question and the trust problem we're having in Western society is about something deeper, you know, because I, I don't know if it's true in Romania, but in the States, Trust is at uh, an all-time low in institutions, in government, in business, in 
um, you know, uh, even churches and, and religious institutions. Uh, so there's, there's kind of a low degree of trust in society. And that extends to almost, you know, every sector of society. So that strikes me that that's not about media. That's about something deeper. Something about our economic circumstances. Uh, we're internalizing something around inequality or the environment. Um, you know, there's something going on that's, that's causing that. And I don't know that we can quite blame media. I think media is part of it and definitely is a, um, you know, an area of concern. But it strikes me there's something more, more substantial going on. Or maybe having this overload of information coming from every single corner of our life, maybe it makes us wonder what's, what's what, what's real. And then we ask philosophically in what to trust. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, hard to know. I mean, you know, people wonder about this world of, uh, they talk about the Orwell versus Huxley, you know, the kind of the totalitarian mindset of media and information versus this sort of idea of a diffuse, confused, you know, swamp of information that we can't seem to make any sense of. Um, and there's some aspects of both going on right now, I feel like. Um, hard to know. Uh, but I feel like that, that reflects society a bit more than it is just a function of media. Privacy is an issue in the last few years. It's been always, but in the last few years, it's, it's becoming more and more important for, for people. And we are having example of broken privacy. What will be privacy in to a future where digital content, synthetic media, everything will be around us? So I'm actually very glad you brought this up because I think when you, when you think about synthetic media and you think about things like you know, digital uh, characters, artificially intelligent characters, and you think about the types of interactions we're going to have, it is actually incredibly important to think about data protection and data, data privacy. You know, it's one thing if I'm having a conversation with an application uh, or a, a, a digital character of some kind that is, um, you know, seems to be very responsive to the things that I'm saying. It's another if I'm having that conversation with a character that has comported itself to look like people I'm familiar with, you know, maybe not obviously, but in some subtle fashion, is aware of my uh, exact financial circumstances at that moment, is aware of my past behavior, maybe my medical uh, situation, uh, or some other intimate details of my relationship status or my psychology. So when you think about that context and you start to think about machines that have, you know, real time streaming data about us and the ability to build complex contextual models that can be updated at an instant, you know, data protection and data privacy become incredibly important. Otherwise, I'm, I'm dealing with a kind of mechanism that I may find you know, unbeatable in terms of its ability to uh, manipulate me. Justin, thank you very much for having this, this conversation about actually the present and the future. Well, thank you very much. And I uh, just want to encourage you. I've, I found the conference here to be um, incredibly thought-provoking. A lot of very smart people. 
Um, and I think it's it's good news for uh, Bucharest and for Romania that you're having these discussions. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the ING podcast here at GoTech World. We're going to be back with more interviews with the most interesting speakers. Thank you.